What's happening? What's happening? How y'all doing? Um, it is Sunday night, and we are beginning episode three of Chill Time is Will Time. Um, I am finally back in the Twin Cities after being gone all week long um, at a equity conference in Chicago. And it is a stark difference being back, I'll tell you that much. Um, while I was in Chicago, like the last time I recorded, I recorded a, a episode two while I was out um, there. Um, the weather was awesome. For the most part, it was around average temperatures. Um, it was um, 40s, 50s, you know, not too bad. But one of the days we had there was like 72 degrees. It was awesome. You know, I was able to kind of walk around the city and really um, kind of enjoy that weather, man. It actually felt like spring for once. And then fast forward, and I'm back here in the Twin Cities, and we it got hit by a blizzard. Um, it has not stopped snowing since yesterday morning and it is um we've gotten anywhere about 10 to 14 inches of snow actually um anybody knows me knows i hate snow i hate the winter and yes i know how ironic that is being that i live in the state of minnesota um it probably seems very um cliche that i'm always talking about the weather too and i do that a lot in the winter time because i cannot stand it so much but you know, anybody that lives here knows that we just kind of roll with it, we deal with it, and that it, it is what it is, you know? Um, but, you know, I'll move forth. Um, kind of bring up something that was pretty interesting that I kind of uh, saw on TV um, yesterday. Um, yesterday, I was watching TPT. If anybody knows what that channel is, it's kind of one of those um, uh, public broadcasting channels or whatever. Um, and I was watching this show called Independent Lens, and it was a it was a there, I was watching an episode. It's the first time I've actually seen the show actually, because I typically never watch uh, TPT. I'm either watching if I am watching TV, I'm watching Sports Center, um, History Channel, Discovery Channel, um, or uh, C-SPAN uh, too, so I can because they usually uh, highlight some pretty decent books on there. Um, that I kind of get ideas to go uh, go purchase and read up on myself. Um, they usually highlight some pretty awesome authors and stuff there. But um, anyways, going back to um, this this show. So it was a show called Independent Lens, and there was a sh- uh, the, the episode. The title of this episode that I was watching was called The Art of the Shine. And uh, essentially what it was doing, it was it was uh, highlighting the shoe shine occupation. And so I know when everybody thinks of shoe shines or uh, that as a job, they think of it as a uh, one of those menial manual labor jobs. It doesn't make don't make much money and maybe have pity on the men or women or whatever that do it. But I tell you what, um, I learned a lot about it yesterday that totally not that I look down on people who did that. But I, I, I just, I guess I just didn't look at it as a, as an occupation where you would make much money. I, I looked at it as more like a side hustle. Yo, I, that watching that episode really changed my mind. It highlighted several, several uh, guys and gals. Um, one cat from Japan, one from New York, um, one in Canada, um, and then a couple other ones. Either on the, I can't remember if they were on the east or west coast. But anyways, they were kind of just talking about how they came to want to came into the occupation, what led them there, um, the joy they get out of 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 doing shoe shines for a living, and yo, they make decent money. It's crazy. So, and I know it's like I said, I know it sounds nuts, but like they charge anywhere from eight 
to 20 to 25 bucks for a shoe shine depending on the level of shine or whatever you get and all the type of products or whatever they're putting your shoes through all right um and a shoe shine can take anywhere from eight to ten to fifteen minutes to do all right so if you think about that they're making at a minimum eight bucks for eight minutes now now let's add that up Let's say you get one person per hour, one person every couple hours, whatever be the case. Let's just say you do it for uh, for 40 hours in a week, right? And you're charging at the, at the average of like eight bucks an hour or whatnot. Um, and you get on the average one person per hour. Yo, you making you're they're making more more money than some people who have uh, entry level office jobs. They are not hurting. You know what I mean? And that's just if they're getting the low end, not even if they're getting the charging the 20 to 25 bucks per shine. And, you know, some days are better than others. Some days they get more than one person per hour. Sometimes they get less than that. But for the most part, they are all like they all living. All right. They're not now. They're not balling out of control, driving Mercedes and stuff like that. But they live pretty decent, man. So the next time you see your next shoeshine guy or gal at the airport or train station, do not have pity on them. You know, it is an honorable profession that they take pride in. They do good for themselves. Um, and and to be honest, give them the business, you know. Give them some of your business. Um, I, I, I actually know how to shine shoes. I've been doing it since I was about four years old. It is actually um, one of the earliest memories I have of something I enjoy doing with my father. Um, I remember my father, uh, my, you know, my father used to be in the military and I remember when he used to come home, um, he used to shine his boots. I remember as early as like three, four years old. And this is back when they had the standard issue leather boots instead of the, uh, the nylon or canvas ones that, um, those who are enlisted, uh, uh, wear today. And I remember I used to just sit by, sit back and, uh, watch him shine his boots or whatnot. And then I remember one day he taught me how to do it. So it was something we could do together. And so I was shining one of his boots while he was shining the other boot. Um, and it's just one of those kind of um, kind of cheesy, sentimental things that I remember that um, uh, it, it's a positive memory for me, um, to, say, to say the least. Um, fast forward, it is actually a skill that I still use to this day. Um, people who know me know that I have a ridiculous amount of shoes. I love shoes. Um, up in the triple digits and for any of my leather shoes and stuff like that I do have a shoe shine kit and I do shine my shoes that's how you prolong the life of them and especially if you're somebody who's investing a lot of money in them that's how you take care of your shoes keep them looking good nobody wants to walk around with a pair of busted loafers or wingtips or bad Swedes. nobody you know that, that, that's not okay doesn't look good if that's your style that's what you do cool but me personally I like to have mine looking alright mine's I need mine's looking decent um so I still take the time out every day to get out my old-fashioned shoe shine kit, and I shine my stuff up um, consistently. Um, but that was just uh, something that you guys should keep an eye out. It's an interesting show. Um, on, like I said, it's on TPT, um, and the show's called Independent Lands. I do not know when it consistently comes on or anything like that, but if you have a, you know, um, uh, what do they call it? TV guide or whatever, and you're interested in checking it out, man, you guys should really uh, give it a look. Um, but I kind of want to, but uh, right now I'm going to kind of segue into uh, one of the main topics that I want to talk about today. Um, 
from there's been you know on occasion you guys have kind of heard me talk about um narrative and story um and as a narrative and story and the way that they um affect how we look at our peers uh, maybe how we look at our jobs the world um and how they uh essentially um affect our you have infiltrated politics and how they affect policy um how narrative affects law and how law is is carried out. Um, well, one of the things that hap- that I got to, they got the privilege actually to um, talk about or to learn more about is kind of add on to my knowledge about that um, in one of the breakout sessions. In one of the breakout sessions, it, it was about storytelling and narrative and how they affect policy. Um, once again, I know I talked about it last episode, but that Policy Link Equity Conference was amazing. I got to listen to uh, Rashad Robinson, Linda Sarsour. These are people. Rashad Robinson is somebody that I talked about before on a podcast. And my other podcast venture is somebody that um, to look up to um, uh, as a, one of those great up-and-coming entrepreneurs who is doing amazing things. Linda Sarsour is a personality who helped organize the Women's March. Um, She is an inspirational figure, especially to a lot of women of color out there. And she had a lot of lovely things to say, awesome things to say. And a lot of, uh, you know, everybody on that panel really had some very uh, motivational messages to give um, to everybody when it comes to addressing equity um, and equal rights for everybody out there. but to get kind of get back uh, get back on point here, um, I learned uh, like I said I learned a little bit more about um, narrative and um, and one of the things that I like I learned from this breakout session was um, how the shifting of narrative is something that's important uh, with addressing um, equity um, narratives. Uh, are, are something like stories are something that are told every day. Um, stories um, are 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 um, basically what a story is is telling a particular series of events that are specific and share common elements. Um, obviously, context and stuff has a lot to do with that and needs to be a part of it. And that's you know one of the elements to help build up and make up um, a story. Um, now, narrative, what narrative is, narrative is a collection of collection um, or system of related stories um, that are articulated or related over uh, over an amount of time to to kind of get to a particular point. And so I guess to elaborate on that, because I know that kind of sounded a little jumbled up or confusing how I said it, like um, framing narratives has a big impact up on public opinion and policy. Um, and, and an example of that is there are society has plenty of stories about black men or men, black men or women. For instance, society has put out plenty of stories of whether that be you know accurate, false, you know most a lot of them false about the big scary black man, right? And how black men are violent or over over you know overly violent they're not intelligent they're lazy this that and the other and what happens is that has created a narrative that um a, a prevailing narrative that is in the in the the subconscious of a lot of people's minds um 
the narrative that black people are a menace um, kind of contributes to a conditioning um, a conditioning that dehumanizes black folks. And so I'll, I'll go a little bit more into this. I'll try to explain a little bit better. Um, when you're constantly hearing about how horrible black people are or that they're incapable of this, that, and the other, or that they're scary, or that they're bad, or that they're only capable of violent crime and stuff like that, constantly hearing this type of message from the media, because the media is a big part to blame about this. The media has is, is great at contributing to this narrative, this negative narrative about minorities and you know, and then do a great job of backing up and when, you know, negative uh, negative aspects of that when, when 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 negativity happens or there's a negative result because of that narrative that they have put out about us happens, then they're great at like kind of backing up you know, kind of washing their hands and going, oh, how did this happen? And how will the public handle this? Basically trying to like absolve themselves of any responsibility of it. Well, no, I'm always a person time and time again. It's always like as much as we hold the, you know, horrible policies that denigrate and subjugate minorities, we also need to hold the media accountable as well because they have a helping hand in this. They have a, a huge hand in that. Um, so, you know, once again, back on topic, the dehumanized, the, the, the dehuman, dehuman, dehumanizing narrative of black men and women has, has been put out there so much that people, everybody innately kind of thinks, um, thinks negatively of us. The, the narrative of the big black boogeyman is, this, is, the, is the exact reason why police officers shoot first and ask questions later when they arresting when they arrest us um, or, or, or when they're trying to question us um, is why they are quick to place judgment put cuffs on us put us in the back of the car if we can even make it that far I'll give you an example like just this past week something that's hit the airwaves and been all over social media is how um the situation of star between uh, about uh, the two black men in the Starbucks in Philadelphia. Um, apparently, two black men walked into a Starbucks in Philly. Um, they were waiting for their friend to come. They were just you know having a meeting. They were all working, uh, doing some business around real estate. Um, because the men didn't order anything, a Starbucks employee called the cops. The cops come in, arrest the gentleman, take him out. Despite the fact that. All, even the friend had arrived that they were waiting for and all the customers, white customers even, was asking, why are you arresting these gentlemen? They haven't done anything. That's a prime example of how narrative has contributed to the conditioning um, uh, of everybody towards black men. A, that conditioning contributed to the employee being afraid and wanting to call the cops on the men just for not ordering anything. Is it... 80%, of, 50% of the people that go to Starbucks don't buy anything there. They sit there to get on a laptop and do homework or work or get a, you know, work from the office. Anytime I've ever been some, been to a place like that, everybody in a coffee shop ain't, ain't there buying anything. Half of them are just chilling. 
But because there's a there's a prevailing narrative out there that black men, especially when there's more than one of us together, that we're up to to something dubious or some type of skullduggery, this employee gets scared and calls the cops. Second example of how conditioning um, the, the the narrative, the negative narrative of African American men and women. Um, has conditioned somebody is it conditioned the police officers because the police officers show up there and instead of just questioning asking a whole lot of questions and figuring out what the men were doing there why the employee felt threatened or felt the need to call the cops or anything like that no they put the men in cuffs and walk them out for what so now they got driving while black you can get it you can get pulled over arrested for driving while black you can. There was a, a a a black teen that got shot at with a shotgun for asking for directions at a at a at a at a white man's house this past week, and now we can't even go to Starbucks. We can't even meet at Starbucks. Meet at a Starbucks. Some of these Starbucks have meeting rooms, like it's 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 for you to meet meet there to conduct business. Now we can't even meet anywhere. Why? Because the prevailing negative narrative out there that black men can't be trusted or we're violent or we're somebody that you need to be afraid of. It's ridiculous. Or how about the narrative that is used that black women or minority women um, milk the welfare system? That is a, 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 a huge narrative that's thrown out there. Anytime they talk about welfare, welfare queens or anything like that, they always show the image of a single black mother um, with kids. And they, uh, they use that to tug at um, taxpayers or more conservative-leaning folks to say, you know, this is what's happening. You're working hard, and your hard work and uh, tax dollars are going to take care of somebody else who isn't doing anything. How did this come about? Because of stories, right or wrong, negative stories, false stories that have been told over and over so much that it becomes a narrative that conditions the minds of some people that they believe. Now, reality, fact of the matter is that the predominant users of welfare are actually not black women or single mothers. It is actually People who live in rural communities, especially, uh, um, you know, white farmers who actually are the ones who utilize um, uh, welfare the most. Not black women, not brown women. White rural farm workers are the predominant users of welfare. But yet, anytime somebody says anything about welfare queens or people who benefit benefit the most from welfare, they always think about uh, black or brown women. That's how, you know, uh, um, narrative can be used in a horrible way to have a, a, a terrible effect on people. There's plenty of others to go around. Or how about the narrative that, um, the narrative that Affirmative action is a form of reverse racism. Affirmative action was put into place to give black and brown folks an equal shot of employment. Um, 
It was a way to try to address structural racism in the workplace. Um, and there's just there's a narrative put out by the conservative community that affirmative action is a form of reverse racism against white folks, and they're taking jobs away from hardworking white people. When statistics and data show that the bene- biggest beneficiary of affirmative action is, in fact, white women. So are you guys starting to get get my point about how narrative um, is is used to affect public opinion um, and is a powerful tool um, to sway to sway individuals to to um, bring about policies that are harmful to people because it's real. The narrative that Colin Kaepernick is protesting the national anthem, the flag, when in fact it's not. He's actually protesting police brutality. But the same people, it's funny, that the same people who out there who say that supposedly disapprove of him uh, co-opted uh, his platform and say that he's protesting the American flag and disrespecting the troops. The same ones do not help or contribute to homeless veterans who are out on the street. They can, you know, the Republican Party, a lot of, you know, the GLP is huge on, supposedly huge on respecting um, our veterans um, and those who are the men and women that are served. Yet they had a hand on... Um, I'll have to uh, look it up, even you know, look up the details. But they had a hand on getting rid of a protection for veterans, or the you know men and women who are serving overseas. There's a protection put in place to stop them from losing their homes while they were fighting abroad. GLP helped get rid of that protection, or they're trying to get rid of that protection. How does that show your support of the troops? It doesn't. The narrative that you need to fear black men more than anybody else is poisonous, it's negative, and it has dire consequences. Dylan Ruth killed, massacred an entire church in Charleston, South Carolina. He was apprehended safely and even taken to get a cheeseburger or something like that from a Wendy's or Burger King before they took him to jail. The Parkland Survivor, uh, the Parkland shooter, was apprehended after shooting up all those people in school. Those kids in school was apprehended and safely, without any without any issues. Meanwhile, Stephon Clark is shot shot seven eight times, half of them in his back in his own backyard with a cell phone. Why? All because of narrative, a negative narrative about black men. And there's always this narrative for white people to make them the perpetrators, that make the victims, you know, show more compassion toward the victims and even make their perpetrators victims. No disrespect to the Parkland uh, shooting survivors. Um, I think the work that they're doing is great. Um, and I think they should be heard. Um, but I need somebody to tell me why they got so much press. Meanwhile, barely anybody 
barely any news channel or you haven't heard anything about the predominantly African-American school or the, 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 the all the African-American kids or black and brown kids in a school in uh, Miami staged a walkout as well because some of their classmates were murdered. You barely heard anything about that. But we hear about the Parkland survivors. They're verified on Twitter, everything. They're getting all type of pub. They're all over CNN. Any and every day, they are, they are being held up. And I'm not saying that they should be held at fault or punished for that. I'm saying, why aren't we treating black and brown bodies um, better? Why aren't they being uh, being shown as much compassion as their white counterparts? Why? It's a narrative. The type of narrative that is put out there. A negative narrative about the value of, an, of a black or brown body um, and the narrative about the intentions of black and brown victims. Um, it, it kills me, to be honest with you, because there's somebody that works so much, that works so hard in the community, I see um, what black and brown people put up with on an everyday basis. Um, I see the hardships that they go through, how they have to work 10 and 12 times harder to get anywhere. But they still are battling a narrative that the media likes to put out that they aren't worth the compassion of everybody else. They aren't, they aren't worth having the same compassion as their black or brown counterparts. What so so? I guess I'm asking like, what are we ready to do about that? Um, as a as a community, as a people who see this type of thing happening, um, we are quick to protest any and everything. To be honest with you, but I've yet to see us really step up and hold the media accountable for their hand in a lot of this. It's one thing for our brothers and sisters to combat the policies and the, the, the negative stereotypes and a narrative that are our enemies um, are putting forth about us out there. But now we're now we are also combating and dealing with, multi-million dollar news channels. People can say what they want about CNN being a left-leaning organization or some of these other news channels, MSNBC being a left-leaning organization. When it comes to being fair with the narratives that are put out about black and brown people as opposed to their white counterparts, None of them are progressive at all. All of them stick to the status quo. Why? Because it's, I guess it's a form of sensationalism. It is something that um, they use to help get ratings, to drum up animosity, to 
continue getting people up in arms um, and can, can continue having the fight and the battle going between the left and the right. And don't get me wrong, that battle needs to be had. But I think what we are choo- what we are choosing for to forget or what we are forgetting is that that battle will never really be over until we 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 hold all parties accountable. Um what good is it to try to stop a fight or end a fight if we keep allowing the instigator to instigate? If we keep allowing the instigator to run back and forth in between both sides and uh, spread rumors, um, spread garbage. If we refuse to do anything do anything to them, they're going to continue to do it. So when are we going to step up to the plate and do something about that? I'm a firm believer that if we finally step up and hold the media as well as our government officials um, accountable for the narratives that they're the harmful narratives that that they are putting out about black and brown folks that we can start to see some change um, in our communities and we can start to see some change policy wide because the bottom line is it's not enough to get p- policy isn't going to change um if we if we only address it from one one side and what i mean by that is policies are made based off yes what somewhat of what the what 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 the people want but what our government officials deem is appropriate um and deem what is best for their Best for, well, this day and age, it's best for their pockets first and then best for their constituents second. If they keep hearing or keep getting fed information that is what that what is best for their pockets and what is best for their communities or their constituents is to keep black and brown folks um keep them being treated as second-class citizens, that's exactly what's going to happen. We will never really see the change. It's just not going to happen. That's just the reality of it. And so that's, I guess that's my charge, you know what I mean, um, before I keep going on and rambling about this. My charge is to um, not only should we, you know, keep resisting, keep resisting the bad politics that are going on these days, but let's start resisting the bad media too. Let's 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 resist that. Let's start holding the bad, the bad stories, the bad narratives. Um, let's resist that. When these news channels or these reporters or anchors are coming out in our communities and asking us questions, before we ask them questions, let's ask them on air. Well, how are you going to spin this story? Which story are you going to tell? so that everybody can see that. Let's let them know before they come out there or while they're out there, before we say anything to them, that we hip to their game and we know what they're doing. Um, 
so yeah, that's that. I guess that's all I want to say about that. Um, but that was just something that it was like it was cool to hear and you know hear about and listen about. And like I said, it's something that I had thought about myself a lot, and I've talked about before. But it was cool to be at this summit that had three to four thousand people about it uh, uh, attending, and it was important enough that that they had a breakout session about it. Um, it was cool to see that other people were kind of hip and aware of it as well. Um, not to say that I was the only person in the world aware of aware of how stories and narrative change people people's perceptions and images, um, but that other people are aware and willing to do something about it. Oh, one other thing out there that throughout that that I learned about it, people should be aware about. Um, there was a part in there where they were talking about op eds um, written in newspapers and how op eds are extremely successful with uh, changing people's opinions um, and swaying people's opinions. And obviously when you're able to sway people's opinions, some of those people are a lot more better, a lot better at making noise and being proactive with their representatives and the government and with these politicians, get their voices heard and able to sway opinions and get these policies made. Just so you know, the Koch brothers, people like the Koch brothers and other um, hard right swing organizations actually invest in people to write op eds that benefit them. I think it was something over along the lines of there were over I can't remember if it was three or thirty thousand op eds that were written in the past year that the Koch brothers are responsible for helping to pay for to get people to read their material read that material. And and lean more towards towards policies that they have that are con- extremely conservative and extremely um, lean lean extremely far towards benefiting big business and not the working class person, the working class person or the person suffering from poverty. Yo, narrative is huge. It's huge, and it. Like I said, if narrative wasn't important, you wouldn't have billionaires like the Cole brothers investing in trying to alter and change and affect the narrative that comes out on an everyday basis. So please, like I said, keep that in mind. Um, but with that said, I'm going to move on to something a little bit more, um, a little bit more light, not so heavy. Um, and I usually, um, I'm a person, like everybody knows, I read a lot. And I'm always usually talking about um, a great book that I've been reading um, or some book that I think everybody should read or some book that was like hugely transformative in the way I'm thinking. I kind of wanted to talk about um, some more brief reads, something that I would call like the little coffee table list or coffee table uh, essentials. And these are actually magazines that I'm really into that I think are like have you know really dope articles in them and are super quick reads and um some that I think other like a lot of people would like um and one of the first magazines that I would like to highlight is called Fast Company um I kind of recently I just got into Fast Company maybe like a year ago I was in a Barnes and Noble and I seen less than a year ago actually I seen uh one of the Kevin Durant on the cover and whatnot so anyway, I opened up, started started looking at it, um, and it was just kind of talking about um, a lot of startups that he was investing in, um, 
But then it what it what it did is it actually like highlighted a lot of different business owners and op- entrepreneurs in there. Um, and if you're somebody who is really creative or looking to do things for yourself or um, drum up some some sort of side hustle or develop some type of get some type of equity in something outside of your normal nine to five, I really would recommend that magazine. It's just full of like inspirational stories about um, large and small business owners, how they got their start, um, creative ways in which in which they were able to make breakthroughs in their respective markets. Um, this last um, issue that I got in the mail was, was called uh, "World Changing Ideas for 2018," and it was it was pretty dope. There's even it even highlighted. Um, there's a there's a bank that was highlighted in here. Um, it's called. Let me see, because I actually got it right here. I'll actually just flip through these pages quick and try to pull that up for you. Um, but there was a bank in here, and what it did was, um, it's called, sorry, it's called, um, I know you're super bored listening to me talk like this. Oh, Aspiration Impact Measurement. Um, and what this bank does is, um, it's, or it's called aspiration and it uses, uh, aim the at your aspiration impact measurement score. And it, it basically, it's, it, it's a, it's a, it's a checking account that pulls data on environmental and, and ethical practices of more than 5,000 companies. So basically all these businesses or companies out there that you give money to, or you invest in or whatever it pretty much tells you what they're doing behind closed doors or that, that, that isn't publicized, whether they're investing in some great things or they're investing in people or causes that go against your best interest. Um, I thought that that was super cool and something that was highlighted in there. Um, it also brought uh, brought to my attention um, some issues with Twitter. Um, and so I know everybody's kind of been up to kind of up to speed on the, the trouble Facebook's kind of getting into with their security measures and stuff like that. But what uh, they may not know um, is that Twitter has had its own issues with that. And there's a big article in there on how um, there was this battle with a lot of the leadership and higher-ups um, with Twitter um, going back and forth. Where, like They knew that there was a lot of disinformation being thrown out there, especially coming up, uh, going on during the lead up to the the, uh, the last presidential election and how some of their high-ups were battling in, battling between um, the ethos of free speech and whether or not things like that should just be shut down because it was uh, it was negative um, it was negative for everybody um, whether or not it should be allowed that people were bullying or harassing other people uh, whether those accounts should be shut down or whether or not it should be allowed because it's free it's free speech. Um, I thought that was super interesting, especially seeing as how um, the government is really starting to, seems like they're trying to start, like take notice and step in um, as far as maybe possibly regulating social media um, with all the issues, of, like I said, all the issues that Facebook is going through, um, that, that Twitter itself um, has kind of, for some people, has flown out of the radar 
is having those type of issues, but they also seem to have those type of issues. Um, another magazine that is stays in rotation for me is GQ. Um, both GQ magazine and GQ style. GQ style is more of a quarterly magazine, um, and it uh, usually has some pretty cool articles in there. It's pretty it's pretty thick too compared to the average magazine. Um, but GQ just stands for Gentlemen's Quarterly. It's, I mean, it's got anything in there from articles on your favorite athletes or stars, actors, or business people to um, men's hygiene tips to tailoring tips to tips on, you know, shoes, fashion, grooming, technology, all of the above. Um, I'm especially excited about this next article, this next uh, issue that's about to drop because I got worried that James Harden's on the cover. Um, as one of my favorite uh, basketball players, and I dig his style, so it'd be it'll be pretty interesting uh, to kind of get that, open it up, and see how deep they kind of go into his style, his personality, and different things like that. Um, another magazine that I am really into um, is Juxtapose, and it is an art and culture magazine that comes out quarterly as well. So you only get to get about four issues a year. Um, but being somebody who really loves visual art, um, there's just a lot of cool articles that highlights a lot of different artists, whether it be through uh, paint, dance, sculpting, whatever it may be. If you're somebody that's in the art and you want to learn, you want to see a lot of stuff, you know, a lot of the new modern artists out there and see some maybe learn about some new shows or some collections that may be coming about, I would suggest... Um, kind of looking into Juxtapose magazine. Um, Another is Cyclist. Being that I am an avid cyclist, um, this is a magazine that comes from London, I believe. Um, Get about 10 issues a year. And a lot of you may not be interested in it, but, you know, it's me. Any of you out there that like biking, it's a cool magazine to get. Um, one of the things that I love about it is it highlights a super long ride that uh, either the editor or some of the um, some of the writers go on, the writers go on um, in different parts of the country um, every every month. I think one that I read about. Um, like a couple months ago, as they were in the Azores, um, and man, the 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 pictures of of that ride, um, and that landscape were beautiful. And then there was one just recently. They were riding through, uh, through a desert in Israel, and it's in, in the road that they were on. I forgot the name of it, but it's known as like the 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 it's it's like four hundred something meters below below sea level. It's known as like the lowest road, uh, in the world. Something else is just like that was just so that's just something else is just like one of those um, smaller uh, small details that many people might not care anything about, but I think it's super interesting. And if you're into biking or whatever, it might be something that you want to invest in and look at. Um, and then another one that is a plus for me, um, something that I always have. It's actually a comic book. It's not in the magazine, and that's a Black Panther comic. And it this. Uh, this new iteration of Black Panther is written by Ta-Nehisi Coates. Um, Ta-Nehisi Coates, the author of the book, 
um, between the world and me. Um, and We Were Eight Years of Power is his latest book that's been out. Um, many people see him as, you know, our generation's uh, maybe pseudo James Baldwin. Um, he's known as a public intellectual, even though he doesn't like to call himself that and doesn't see himself as that. But it's definitely a, a brilliant guy. Um, and it's cool to kind of see um, somebody like that get into comics and uh, kind of how he would develop a storyline. It's just not, it's just the, uh, an individual like himself is just not the type of person that you would normally think of that would author a comic book, of all things. But I definitely like the way, uh, the twist that he has put on some of the storylines. Um, and every issue I've read so far has been pretty dope. Um, I am a loyal subscriber to it. And um, I'm excited about where this next uh, this next year will go um, with that series. So, yeah. So, I mean, essentially, that's just um, just a you know a small list uh, of real quick, brief reading material. Like I said, the coffee table essentials, the coffee table list that you guys might want to invest in and check out from time to time. Um, and I think. It's something that you. Uh, it's a nice. It's a nice switch up from doing the heavy reading, especially for somebody like me who's you know, reading something on you know, science or politics or social justice like every day. It's cool to be able to take fifteen to twenty minutes out of my reading and do do do, do something, read something that's a little bit more light, um, light and joyous, and has you know has something to do with my interests outside of. Uh, um, the more um, time and I don't know brain intensive reads that I like to have so um, this has been uh, it's been great um, once again kind of sitting and speaking with you guys um, once again if you have any type of critiques anything you want to hear me talk about anything else that you want to hear me um, or any questions, anything you don't like about what I've spoken about um, on this podcast, please shoot me an email to chilltimepod at gmail.com um, and I will address any of those questions or likes or dislikes on the next episode. I'll promptly respond. Um, but once again, I thank you guys for tuning in. Please continue to tune in, support. Um, I believe now um, I'm on, we're on several more platforms. So not only are we on iTunes, but I am also on Google Play and Stitcher. Um, hoping to get on um, Spotify and iHeartRadio here pretty soon as well um, so I can kind of expand that reach. Um, but if you can, you know, support, spread the word about the podcast on any platform that you're listening to it on. Leave me a rating and a comment, you know, let people know. Five stars. It's a great podcast. Listen to it. If you think it sucks, give it one star and no star. Tell people that, too. I don't care. Um, but for whatever, you know, whatever reason you like or dislike, make sure you let that be known. And like I said, I appreciate you guys listening to me. And uh, until we meet again, until episode four, um, this has been Chill Time is Will Time, and I am out. <laughs>